0: But good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Who's excited? (laughs) It's Christmas Eve, everyone. It's a real blessing and privilege to be here with you on Christmas Eve. It it, it really is. Um, So I want to start by asking a question, okay? Now, this might make you feel vulnerable, all right? Just be honest, but we're all family here. There's no condemnation, all right? who still has a little bit of Christmas shopping still to do. <laughs> oh, I only ask because I want to feel better about myself. that I've still got a bit of Christmas shopping to do. But it's OK because petrol stations sell loads these days. Like, loads. <laughs> Absolutely loads. It's fine. Um, but generally speaking, do you know what? I find Christmas shopping really hard. Um, I think it's because my expectations of Christmas shopping are always one thing, and the reality is always very, very different. Every year, I think, this will be simple. Buy a present for my mum. I know my mum. I've met my mum loads of times. This will be... I know what she likes. This will be really easy. Uh, And I go into town with the expectation that I'll blitz all of my Christmas shopping in an hour. And then it feels like it takes me an hour to even find a parking space. And then I go to the bookshop, and I think, great, mum mum loves books. She does loads of reading. I'll go to the bookshop, and they don't have the book that I wanted to get for my mum. Ah, Okay, all right, I'll improvise. I have to think of something else on the spot. Whilst everybody in the whole town, all of Cheltenham, seems to also have gone to the bookshop and congregated in front of the shelf that I wanted to casually browse. And eventually I just get frustrated and I think, okay, all right, maybe she'd like a DVD, I'll go to the DVD shop. And so I traipse all the way across town, get to the DVD shop, and then can't remember if my mum still has a DVD player or if she's upgraded to a Blu-ray player now. Ooh. So then I'm texting my brother, does mum still have a DVD player? And again, all of Cheltenham has followed me to the DVD shop now. So I'm surrounded by people bumping into me. And, and eventually I just give up and go home and order the original book on the internet. That, why didn't I do that in the first place? Of course. And then when it finally turns up on December the 23rd, it's water damaged. Because the packaging accidentally opened and the postman left it in my safe place which is apparently a large puddle in my back garden. Um, and that's just one present. And every year, I think Christmas shopping will be simple and enjoyable, and every year it's just complicated and stressful. I'm not very good at shopping. And so often in life, we can find that things are not as simple or clear-cut as we were expecting them to be. I don't know about you, but it feels to me like Christmas time really highlights that because we all know what Christmas is supposed to be like. Fairy lights, time off work, beautiful carols to sing, gifts to give and receive, eating and eating and eating, time spent with friends and family and loved ones, and a general atmosphere of goodwill and cheer. Hooray! But sometimes, those expectations of a neat and tidy, fun-filled festivities just serve to highlight the messiness of our lives. Just like with my Christmas shopping experiences, the reality of Christmas on the whole is often so different to our expectations. And in fact, the reality of life is often so different to our expectations. And this is especially hard for us as human beings because in our our culture, we, we love things to be clearly defined. We love being able to neatly categorize things. We love labels and neat and tidy boxes. And so often I find that I'm looking for a clear sense of whether I'm happy or unhappy right now, whether I'm well or unwell. And we love clearly defined boundaries. We're desperately trying to sort the world out into goodies and baddies. My tribe and your tribe, black and white, up and down, good and bad, light and dark. And this year, I'm slowly learning that life is not ever really that clear cut. So 2017 is, you know, you come to the end of the year, it's an obvious time to reflect on what's come in the last year, but 2017 has been filled with sublime joy for me. Uh, I became a dad in May, which is just hilarious. Uh, um, There she is, having a good old time. Um, Hi, B No, she's fine. She's having a great time. and tomorrow, me and, my, me and my wife get to celebrate Christmas with our, our daughter for the first time ever. And, and it's just going to be, I'm really excited. It's, it's just a wonderful thing of joy for us. But, in this messiness of life, this year has also been filled with sadness as well. I don't know if you can empathise with that. Wonderful, joyful things that get mixed up in sadness as well. I want to be honest with you and, and let you know that for the last 6 to 12 months, I've been, I've been battling with depression. Um, And not just, oh, I feel a bit sad, you know. Like, signed off work for a couple of weeks, visiting the doctors, can't face getting out of bed some days, capital D, depression. And I want to be open about that, because as I stand here today, my depression doesn't scare me, but it's not a thing I want to ignore and gloss over or paint a pretty picture about just because I'm up here on the stage. I feel it's important for us to be open about this sort of stuff because, you know, statistically speaking, there's a quarter of us in our society, and so a quarter of us in this room, who are battling with some mental health issue. And for the other three quarters of you, you don't need to have wrestled with a mental health issue to know grief or sadness or despair. Life sometimes has a way of throwing those sorts of things at us anyway. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, sometimes joy and mourning sit right alongside each other. And they're not clearly separated from one another. Sometimes pain and sadness walk uh, walk through your life hand in hand with laughter and happiness. And sometimes you can't explain why any of it is there or why God hasn't taken the hard stuff away. I really wish, I really wish I had a nice, neat, tidy theology which perfectly explains why I've got depression and why it's not gone yet. But in all honesty, I don't. I don't have the answers. And that, I am learning very, very slowly this year. That's totally okay. Not everything in life is able to be wrapped up in neat and tidy boxes. There have been times this year when I've cried out to God in the absolute depths of my depression, but then I've looked at my daughter's little cheeky smile and burst into tears of joy. Oh, come on, be cool, Gareth. Don't cry. But still, if you can't can't cry in church, you can't bleed in hospital. So I look at her face and, you know, I burst into tears of joy. And there's this, it's messy sometimes, life. And I think St. Paul understood this. This sort of messy tangle of emotions when he encourages us in the book of Romans to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Not just rejoice with those who rejoice, and whilst you're rejoicing, Ignore those who are mourning until you've stopped rejoicing and then keep things neat and tidy and separate. But simultaneously, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The two don't have to cancel each other out. God is okay. God is big enough for the two to exist side by side. And contrary to what we so often think and to what what the world around us will tell us, rejoicing and mourning are not some opposite ends of some sort of spectrum. In this life, they so often go hand in hand. It's, in fact, beautifully human to experience this messy tangle of emotions. Things are not simple or clean-cut. Life is messy. The light isn't separated from the darkness. In fact, the book of John is very clear. The light shines in the darkness. The light doesn't avoid the darkness. The light isn't embarrassed or ashamed or scared of the darkness. The light shines in and through the darkness. The light radiates in the deepest darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And crucially, we have hope that the darkness has not overcome it. So, the Christmas story. This baby named Jesus. To quote one of my favorite poets, a woman called Amina Brown, what do we do with this baby? What does this Jesus have to do with our brokenness and wounds? What does he have to say when the plot lines of our life don't wrap up cleanly like a Christmas tune? This morning, we're going to take a look at the events surrounding the birth of this baby, this Jesus, and see what we find there about how we as humans can react when life gets messy. And how we can hold on to the hope of God's love and goodness, even in our darkest, messiest days. So if you've got a Bible with you, then turn to the Gospel of Luke. At the start of Luke 1 and Luke 2, we're given a little bit of the wider social context in which the Christmas story is set. In Luke 1 verse 4, we're told that this story is set in the time of King Herod of Judea. And Luke 2 uh, verses 1 to 3 go on to tell us that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now Luke tells us who the emperors, kings and governors are to remind us that the Christmas story is set against the backdrop of Israel, the people of Israel, being under the occupation of the Roman Empire. Things aren't great for the Israelites. Herod, their king, is nothing more than a puppet of the Roman Empire. And the Romans wield so much influence over the day-to-day lives of ordinary people ordinary people thousands of miles away from Rome, that the emperor, Caesar Augustus, can order everybody to just stop what they're doing and go to their ancestral hometown for a census. The people of Israel are under oppression from one of the mightiest military forces the world has ever seen. And they don't know why God hasn't intervened yet. They don't have a nice, neat, tidy theology for that. And they can't really be sure of who they can trust. They definitely can't look to their government for help, or wisdom, or guidance, and they're not even sure now if they can look to the religious leaders. Are they just stooges of the Roman Empire as well, the priests? They don't know. The context that Luke sets for us is that these are terrible, dark days. To paraphrase the prophet Isaiah, the people of Israel are walking in darkness. But on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There is always hope. Always. The prophet Isaiah writes these words hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And he tells Israel to hold on in the darkness because hope is coming. But what is hope going to look like? A mighty warrior? A powerful king? An important rich man? No. None of those. With God, even when we don't seem able to see him, even when we're not sure what we're looking for, there is always hope. Hope, and we can always choose to follow hope, even in the midst of our darkest days, because hope is the same thing in this story as it is for us. Hope is not simple. It's not clear-cut. It's not easy or painless to follow hope. Hope is beautiful, but hope is messy. Hope is not born in the clean, the sanitary, or the neat and tidy. Hope is born in a stable. As Rich so vividly pointed out for us earlier, Hope is born in a stable surrounded by animals and visited by unclean, smelly shepherds. Hope is born to a young, penniless, exhausted couple who find themselves hundreds of miles away from everything they know. Hope is a little baby boy born in a stable named Jesus. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, she obediently holds on to hope for nine months before she can hold the hope of the world in her arms. Hope requires obedience and patience and trust because hope is joyous, but hope is painful. It's not simple. It's messy. So the Gospel of Luke talks of the reality of hope. And so the claim that is made is that the place that Israel finds itself in, walking in darkness is not the worst moment for Israel. This is not the beginning of the end, but instead the claim is made that this is a very painful moment. That is actually the place where the story of Israel, the story of humanity, begins to turn around. And now Luke, of course, is talking about all of us. What the Gospel of Luke goes on to tell us is that whenever you think you've reached the end of your story, you're up against it. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. Keep going, just keep going. Keep trusting. Keep believing God. Keep trusting Him because there's hope. So, let's back up a little way and see how Mary and her fiancé, Joseph, and their extended family are caught up in the grand story of God's hope. There's this angel named Gabriel. And Gabriel has news for Mary. But we'll, we'll get to that. But he also has news for Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zechariah. Zechariah is a good man, he's a priest. And Luke goes into a lot of detail to point out he's a really good guy. And he's serving in the temple one day when this angel Gabriel appears to him. And so we read Luke 1, verse 11 onwards. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah which is, that's kind of angel for hello. They say that a lot. (laughs) Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Oh, big stuff. This is exciting. This angel gives this incredible news to Zechariah that he's going to be the father of John the Baptist, part of God's plan for saving Israel and the world. And this is how Zechariah responds. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well on in years. And kind of understandably, the angel Gabriel isn't that chuffed with that response. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. Can you not see me? I'm a big eight you need a sign? I'm okay, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. Silence. Zechariah has made silence because of his response. And when I read Zechariah asking that question, I'm not going to lie, I empathise with him a little bit, but I can almost hear the other questions whirring around his brain. Okay, so if my son is going to be part of the Lord's plan for saving Israel and the world, then um, which school should I send him to? And, and should we stay in the same neighbourhood or should we move to a better one? Um, give, give, give me answers. I need answers. I need resources. I need clear and easy to follow instructions. I have to figure all of this out to make sure that God's plan comes through. Zechariah misses the point. Zechariah needs clear-cut answers. He needs things to be neat and tidy and to have all of his boxes ticked before he can proceed. So that he can be sure he won't mess up God's plans for his life, for his family. Isn't that the case for us sometimes? I've been there. It's the case for our, so much of our culture sometimes. We think we need, we need the answers laid out before us before we we'll take any steps towards trusting God in, in what he's promised us. Do you know what? I'd, I'd love to invite my workmates over for dinner, but my flat's really small, so I'm trusting God for a nice big house where I can host people before I invite anybody to my house. Do you know what? I'd love to go deeper with Jesus. I'd, I'd really love to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus, but first I need to work out how evolution and Genesis and how all that works together, because I, I need to work that out. Friends, I say this with all love, but all seriousness. Let go. Let go of thinking you have to figure everything out. We don't have to figure everything out. We, we, we can't. We won't. There will always be something to figure out. As soon as you think you've totally figured out one thing in life, the next thing will come along and it's just going to exhaust you. So let go. I say this as someone who's been there. Let go. And hold on to the hope that God offers you instead, just as he offers it to Zechariah. Because ultimately, because of of how he reacts, Zechariah is rebuked. But he's rebuked gently and graciously by our gentle and gracious God. He and his wife still get a son out of it. But Zechariah is rebuked and he's silenced because maybe silence is what he needs. Maybe the space and reflection brought on by a long period of silence is the most gracious thing for Zechariah's busy old brain box. In any case, what we see happen next... In the book of Luke, uh, so uh, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, what we see next is the story of how Zechariah reacts is immediately contrasted with how Mary, the mother of Jesus, reacts to her encounter with the angel Gabriel. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, wow, that is a tongue twister. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and it rhymes, lovely, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and, he, and, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sick month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel laughed her. I am the Lord's servant. Mary responds to Gabriel in a totally different way. Where Zechariah, God bless him, needs details, needs confirmation, needs to know what he needs to do to make things happen. Mary simply trusts that God will make things happen. And that her part in all of this is to trust God and serve God. I am the Lord's servant. Mary just has this utter belief, this this raw hope in the promise of God. This knowing So she doesn't have to jump through the same mental hoops as Zechariah in order to trust the promise of God. She's already there. Mary basically responds, I don't understand this. I don't understand how I, a virgin, will conceive a child or why it's me who gets to be the mother of the saviour of the world. I don't understand. But God, your will be done. Tell me what my part is in this and give me the strength to do it. Jesus is not born to Mary because she manages to figure it all out. And gets answers to her question. Things are still messy for Mary. But that's precisely the point. Because even in the midst of her mess. Mary trusts in the promise. The hope of God. And here's the thing. When Mary entrusts herself to God. And is obedient to his call for her life. It costs her. When we place our faith. Our our trust. Our hope in God. Despite every earthly bit of knowledge. Telling us to do the opposite. It costs us. There's always something earthly that we give up that it would, it would have been nice to hold on to when we're obedient to following God's hope. And the cost for Mary is her place in society. Because up until this point, Mary's practically Jewish royalty. Her husband to be, Joseph, is literally descended from kings. He's descended from perhaps the greatest king that Israel's ever seen, King David. And there's this New Testament scholar called Alexander Shire who points out that as Mary's related to Zechariah and Elizabeth, we can make a fairly certain assumption that she's also descended from the tribe of priests. So Mary is descended from priests. Joseph is descended from royalty. And in Israelite culture in the the first century, at the turn of the first century, that's a big deal. They are like, wow. And now she's giving up all of her societal privilege, all because she's being obedient to God's promise. Mary will now be seen as a scarlet woman. Joseph will be seen as an idiot for taking her back. By a society who've been walking in darkness for so long that they've given up all hope, all, lost all concept of God being able to do miracles. That maybe there's a different explanation here. There's no explanation for why she's pregnant. She's married, she's getting married as she's pregnant. And so she loses her status and privilege in society, all to be obedient to God's promise, all to be obedient to God's hope. But even in the midst of society's darkness and in the midst of her own personal darkness, Mary trusts God. She believes Jesus is worth it. She knows that what the Holy Spirit has placed inside her is hope. That's the same for us because of the Christmas story, because of everything that Jesus did. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you think about this story or um, where you're at with Jesus, what you think of him. But in the midst of everything that's going on in your life, you are invited, like Mary, to place your trust in God. You are invited, like Mary, to believe that Jesus is worth it. You are invited, like Mary, to let the Holy Spirit place hope inside you. You're invited to place your hope in the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, knowing that the darkness has not overcome him. Because hope is not some vague force that stays above the fray. Hope doesn't just ignore the realities of the world around it. It isn't naive. Hope isn't scared or ashamed of our stuff. No, hope believes that no matter how dark the story has become, it's not too late to turn this around. Hope is the eternal, all-powerful, all-loving God, the sustainer and creator of everything, the same God in who we live and move and have our being. Hope is that that same God put on skin and came to us as a baby named Jesus to be God with us. Hope is found in the way that Jesus grew up and lived the perfect life to show us what life could be. Hope is found in the way that Jesus was obedient and submitted himself to an agonizing death nailed to a cross, all so that death could be defeated. Hope is found in the way that Jesus rose again incredibly from the grave, so that you and me and everyone and all creation can be filled with the hope of relationship with God. We have hope, friends, not only because we know a God who chose to go to the manger Not only because we have a God who chose to go to the cross, but because we have a a God who knows the way out of the grave. And who chooses to do all of this for us, for humanity, for his children, for his creation. And who chooses to invite us all into this great story of hope. We are invited by the power of the Holy Spirit to be bearers of hope, to be bearers of Christ. just As Mary was. Friends, when we're filled with the hope of Christ, we won't shrink away from the darkness of this world, but instead we'll shine the light of Christ into those spaces where it needs to be shined. When we're filled with the hope of Christ, we won't ignore the things in life that are too big or too hard or too overwhelming. We won't gloss over homelessness in our town. We won't shrink back from rising mental health issues in our families, in our lives, in our society. We won't ignore the sadness of family members who are grieving this Christmas time. We won't just ignore them because it's, you know, makes Christmas dinner a bit awkward. When we have hope, the hope of Christ, we'll acknowledge that all of these things are messy, they're painful, they're hard, and we don't have simple or neat answers. But we are bringers of hope, carriers of Christ. Friends, what would it look like if we asked the Holy Spirit to open our eyes afresh to see the light of Christ radiating powerfully in the darkest of places? What would it look like if we let the Zechariah voice in our hearts just spend a bit of time in silence? What would it look like to be more like Mary? To trust in God's promise and be obedient to hope in our lives? Even when it doesn't make sense and even when it costs us. What would it look like if we understood more fully that we worship a God who chose, chose to come to earth as a baby so that you and me and everyone on this planet could one day experience the hope that comes from being in relationship with him? What would it look like if we grasped just a little bit more this Christmas season that we worship a God who is not afraid of the darkest places we find ourselves in but instead joins us in them? God with us. I believe that if... Like Mary, we place our trust in God's promise, then we will see the hope of Christ spill out into the lives of our families, our friends, our towns, our cities, our nations. If we truly believe that even death has lost its sting because of a baby boy born in a stable who grew up to be a man who would die on a cross and be gloriously resurrected three days later if we truly believe that our saviour Jesus Christ is always restoring and redeeming and renewing all things and inviting us to be a part of that, then friends, we have hope. And hope that will spread like a bright shining light that's just been switched on in the darkness. So friends, this Christmas, may you know the Holy Spirit birthing the hope of Christ in every area of your life. May you know that God's promises ring true over you. And your life. Just as they rang true over Mary and Joseph. And Elizabeth and Zechariah. May you see the light shining. In the darkest places of your life. And in the darkest places of the world around you. And may you know that the darkness has not overcome the light. May you find the creator of And sustainer of everything. Hope himself. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. And placed in a manger. A baby boy named Jesus. And may you be filled with the hope of God. To help others to see the same this Christmas time. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? God bless you. Thank you.